Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. 710 KNUS. Ric Flair. Saturday morning, everyone. Sunny and 48 will be the high. Tomorrow, sunny and 53. Back to work Monday, 44 degrees. 710 KNUS. I'm Peter Boyles. Good morning to have everybody here with us. And again, special thanks to Mark Crowley. Uh, we we're talking about the injection sites. And then Dean Singleton on Rupert Murdoch. And now, my favorite part of the show, please say good morning. And welcome back. Uh, he has been a longtime friend. I love him and admire him. And we spoke yesterday for a really long time about radio. And he is now in Utah. Please say good morning. Welcome home to Steve Harms. Stevie, thanks for doing it. Hey, Pete, great to be here. Man, it's, it, it's, it's you know, it's like talk, called the guys. And we're going to try and put together a show with, with um, yourself, Joe Williams, and Sandy Clough. And I could we if Uncle Dave can do it if Dave if Dave Logan can break away put Dave on the show, and just sit back and laugh. It should be a show. Well, yeah, I mean my role with those two guys is just to bring some sanity to the proceedings. <laughs> you would you would be the referee. Yeah, because these guys. I mean, first of all, you're going to have trouble getting. Sandy, because he's going to demand an outrageous amount of money. <laughs> uh, Joe still thinks he's with her, you know. So it'd be great. It would be great. I, I love both those guys, and I I have great admiration for both of them, and, and you know why. Yeah. No. There's. It is a golden age gone by, and Steve was part of it, and of course Ron Zappola was part of it, and Don Martin was part of it, and Larry Zimmer was part of it, and John Beak, and just got a list of people. It was just a great time uh, for the business, for television, television sports, and of course talk radio, sports talk radio. And uh, I was, this is how I actually, I don't know how I was thinking how we met, but the local wrestling promoter, was a guy named Gene Reed, and he yeah. w- he was in in cahoots with the legend Vern Gagne, who you got to know very well, and I and I got to know. He would do the radio show with me, and after Vern did the show with me the first time, and then the next guy they sent in to do because they're always they're, they're sort of testing you and explain uh, kayfabe, explain why it was then what it isn't now. Well, I think, I mean, kayfabe is keeping the secret, you know, and and it was something, the, the pro wrestling business historically was very hard to get into. I mean, you didn't just go knock on the door and say, I want to be a wrestler. And so you had to pay your dues and you had to honor the secret of the business. Mm-hmm. You never divulged anything about the business to someone not involved that would indicate it wasn't all an honest competition. And that slowly faded away 
Uh, well, actually, the WWF back in those days was paying an outrageous tax in New Jersey. And Vince McMahon tried to get the tax reduced. And they finally said it's an athletic contest and this is what we charge. This is what we charge boxing. And Vince publicly stated that it is a uh, basically an athletic performance but not a competition. And that let the cat out of the bag publicly. I think there were my reading, there were two things. One was the Hogan steroid trial, and they had to mm-hmm. they had to admit that, or they one of the defenses or something was to admit that it was a work. And then the other one, he was trying to break the tax code. And in Denver, Colorado, Colorado had the boxing and wrestling commissioner that we both knew. <laughs> And that that was interesting. Um, (laughs) And that's where I met. I think I met you there because you had referred that you had done, although you were doing sports on seven, you were, you were, you had worked for Fritz. And how did you get a job working for Fritz Von Erich in Texas? Oh, geez, Pete. Um, Well, I'm working in Dallas on the TV station there. And, one day, I my producer said, let's go talk to these Von Erichs, because it was just at the time when they were starting to explode. And I said, sure. And so we went to the old sportatorium <laughs> and went in, and everybody was, I mean, you, you talk about feeling like the outsider. I mean, they, they, they went up to Fritz's office and talked to him, and he was good. And I didn't ask him anything that would indicate I'm trying to find out secrets. And what they didn't know was that when I grew up outside Detroit, my neighbor across the street was a guy <laughs> named John Doyle. Yeah. And he was the local pr- promoter in Detroit. And when I was a kid, he used to take me to the TV tapes yeah. over in Windsor, Ontario. And so I, I got to be You were smart. You were smart. Yeah, why well, they call you smart. Well, right? yeah. Sort of, yeah. yeah. I mean, but so when I met the Von Erichs, I had refereed for a funk in Amarillo. <laughs> Which you have told great funk stories. Oh, jeez. Let me reset. Nine minutes after 11, Saturday morning, 48 yeah. will be the high. Peter Boyle's on the air everywhere. The one and only Steve Harms. And... You introduced my son, who is now a father himself, but we were working for, indirectly working um, for 
again, for, for the McMahons out of New York, but you knew Terry Funk from Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and Dory. Yeah. And Dory Funk. Talk about Terry Funk for a moment. Insane. <laughs> Tru- <And> truly. <laughs> a very, very nice man. And he's a family man, his wife, Vicki, and his two daughters. He lived on a beautiful ranch uh, outside of Amarillo in a town called Canyon. And he just, he would do things to entertain fans that endangered his own life. (laughs) I mean, he was like the original hardcore guy. And, And he was just such a, but he was such a, Away from the ring and all of that, he was such a soft-spoken, gentle guy. You'd never, ever, if you didn't know him, never, ever believe what he did for a living. Yeah. Did, he, what, did those but, guys make big dough back then, the kind of dough that people talk about, television dough now? Did, do, you think, do you think Fritz made money? Do you think that the Funks made money? I know Fitz made money because he, he, he had a lot of towns that they ran. And I remember one day I was in the office in the Sportatorium, and Gary Hart, who was a longtime right-hand man for Fitz, came in, and this was after they got to know me, and he asked me to go hand these checks out to the wrestlers in, in the lobby. And so me being me, I glanced at him, and these were checks for a week. And I remember Killer Tim Brooks. Ooh. His check was eight sixty, and that's what most of them were. I don't know how they paid the Von Eric boys, but I know that. Fritz held their salaries over their heads all the time. Because, and, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, because if you can, and I'm such a, such a geek, particularly of, of the history of it, Bruno San Martino, who was one of my great regrets. I probably could have gotten a phone interview, and I never did it. He was our, he was our guy when we were kids. We were Bruno in Pittsburgh. And, Bruno's, sure. and Bruno made way big money. Uh, you know, for time in the late fifties, early sixties, and even into the, you know, into the eighties and nineties, Bruno made money. But they would always there was a, a saying amongst the promoters that I later learned about these guys could draw, they could make money, and I, I got to know um, Doctor Death Steve Williams before Steve passed, and he came home sick, mm-hmm. and we we spent a lot of time together, rode motorcycles together, and talked, and and he always talked in terms of how much we, in other words, his great feud was with the junkyard dog and he, they feuded in the South and he played the kind of white redneck, you know, guy and the dog was the, you know, the black guy and all this kind of stuff. But he always said me and, and, and the same thing Ric Flair said, and he said me and he would name the other guy. In this case, Flair talked about Ricky steamboat. He said me and Ricky made money. And he said, and Doc said, me, me and the dog, and 
we, we made money. Talk about that concept. Well, it, you know, it, it, what, what they would often say is, is, is that these guys draw money. They, they, draw, they draw fans who pay yeah. <laughs> And um, wrestlers historically were paid on a formula that was tied to the gross uh, income of that show. So if the show made uh, $10,000, all the boys on the show received a piece of that. And the higher you were in the, in the card made of that, you, you made a good, you could make good money. Yeah, so yeah. you could make, you could make like uh, a $10,000 gross. And I'm talking about small towns, you know, the spot shows they mm-hmm. call uh, a guy, a guy could make a main event, or could make make a thousand dollars, and you know he did he did that five nights a week. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> of course. I mean, one of one of my jobs was to give out tickets to the radio stations, and they would give them you know, get a plug out of it, and you know the first five you know five was the first five calls get a pair, and you know that get a set of tickets, and then you do the count and. I'd see the guy, and they, one of the first questions they would ask, and Heenan would ask, you know, what was the take, and then how much of that quote was paper? And in, in their, their world, paper was a free, just a free ticket. And sure. they didn't get paid on the free tickets. But no, they, they got paid just on the money that came in. Indeed. The first time I heard and, that, Bobby said, Bobby said, how much is paper? And I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes they talked about papering the house because yep. they had a low, oh, yeah. low uh, ticket sales. Yep. And papering the house meant call every school in the world and give, give away yeah. tickets. We gave them away on. They're still going to buy concessions. Oh, yeah. Well, we gave them away and on we, radios. That's right. We gave them, they're going to buy beer. We, well, you know, we, would, yeah. we would, you know, give us, take the country stations and the, and the rockers and give them give them tickets to give away and the jocks loved it you know and yeah and it, it, it was go ahead you say well i just i remember in dallas <laughs> and i love fritz but he had a thing called overage <laughs> Overage was every dollar that came in after bell time. In other words, the show was an eight. Every dollar that came in from eight oh one was overage, <laughs> and, and kept it. Kept that. Oh. And, and I found that out from uh, Kevin on He he told me about the overage, and I, you know it was just. So funny because oh, they're the best. I, and they were they were they were not far from the we, carnivals. Oh, you know? they well they they talk carny. I mean, I the, yeah. the when they're in in the ring and they're speaking to one another. We're talking about professional wrestling. Steve Harms is here. Seven Ten Canyons. We'll get to the Von Erics, but the more you're around it, the more you can pick it up. Or, or if they want to, you know. And the two guys that smartened me were Jack Lanza and. Uh, 
and Heenan. And I've told you that story before, and I saw the ref pull the pull out the blade <laughs> and put the yeah. put the razor blade on. And I went, the ref's in on it. <laughs> I looked up, and I said, Peter, of course the ref's in on it. You know, like everybody's in on it. Um, I, I carried an awful lot of blades uh, to to the ring oh, yeah. and from the ring for guys. When you watch those guys, and the first time I saw that, and the guy, and I was sitting because I had to do the time and ring the bell, and the guy slipped the blade, and he just put it down, and it was, you know, it was the crusher, and you know, it had a little piece of tape, a little hard, you know, the cutting edge, the cutting edge, and I thought, mm-hmm. the, the, wait, wait, the ref's in on this. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I need to sell something. Let me come back to you. The one and only Steve Harms, Peter Boyle's 710K. And you know, this movie's coming, and it's called The Iron Claw. It's about this family we'll talk about next that Steve knew very well. For an old guy like me, and I don't know if I'd still be here today if it wasn't for Senna Jennings and Dr. Julie McCallan. I sat in her office last week, and we talked for, I don't know, 40 minutes. I, she saved my life, and She's kept me healthy ever since. And imagine a world where you're not just another number. Your doctor knows everything about you and spends time to discover what's necessary to get and keep you well, not only healthy, but really optimally healthy. And, and that world exists at Cenogenics with all the docs now. And you've seen and been cared for by great doctors and staff at Cenogenics. Get the world's best age management solutions, helping you achieve your, your peak cognitive, your physical, your metabolic health. I'm an old man. I turn 80. And I got a no motorcycle and I picked it up last Saturday. And we're going to ski Monday and go to the gym. I was at the gym early in the morning before I come here. Energy. Life is short. Dr. McAllen and folk, all the folks at Cenogenics are the answers. Don't settle for mediocrity, long waits, test results, calls that don't get returned. Expect the best care. And Michelle is there, 720-387-3681, 720-387-3681. Visit them at denvercenogenics.com. It's denver.cenogenics.com, denver.c-e-n-e-g-e-n-i-c-s.com. 23 minutes after the hour of 11, 11 just jumped over, 11.24 Saturday morning. Sunny and 48 will be the high, 53 tomorrow and Monday back to work. 44 degrees, 710 KNUS, Denver's talk station. With us is, my again, one of the great friends I've made in this business, lucky enough to know Steve Harms. And, of course, we are talking about pro wrestling in general, about the Von Erich family. A film is coming, but Steve worked in, in and for them and worked for them. Did you call him Fritz or did you call him Jack, his real name? I call him Fritz. So, yeah, because that was his, yeah. I mean, out of respect yeah, to, sure. to him and his long career. Um, hell, his wife, Doris, called him Fritz. So I figured that's good enough for me. That's it. <laughs> no, you know, and in my reading, because I get trapped into this, um, I didn't realize that he, there was this legend out of Japan, and there was a great wrestler by the name of Ricky Dozon, and Ricky was murdered by the Yakuza, the Japanese organized crime, and that right. he did, that Fritz was involved, you know, not involved, but Fritz was in Japan and um, and helped rebuild the business after the death of uh, Ricky Dozon. And I never knew that until I, was, I found it in this very obscure thing I was reading last night. The, uh, the companies in Japan, there, there are two main companies 
I don't know today, but back then, and they were, because of what you just talked about, they were always open to having any of the three Von Erich boys there. And it was a big paycheck, you know, to get get work in, in uh, I said Vietnam, in Japan. And um, I know that I mean, that's where, unfortunately, David passed away was in Japan. And, but J- Japanese people loved Von Erics. They loved the boys. Oh. I mean, Fritz wasn't going over there to wrestle anymore, but they just loved them. And, and they were so easy to love. They were just great kids. They they called it a curse at one time. It was thought, called the Von Erich curse. How many boys? How many boys were there, and how many of them, in fact, take their own lives? Well, they were there were actually there were six because they lost a son to an accident, uh, Jack Junior, and so. He wasn't part of the curse. He he died in a tragic way, but it wasn't part of the wrestling business. And there, the three older boys were Kevin, David, and Terry. And then there was Chris and Mike. And that's six. And they lost five of them. I mean, it's incomprehensible, but and it, and it suicide, suicide for some reason was something. I was gone when this. I was in Detroit when this all happened, but I I couldn't believe believe it. I knew that. Fritz was really hard on his kids to become successful. And they were spoiled. I mean, they all had late model cars and they they did pretty much what they wanted. And if they got in trouble, Fritz always would make an excuse for it. I mean, the, the boys, the three older boys, they were tough. <laughs> and they were not afraid to get into a fight now and then in the bar. And when they did, they won. <laughs> and they would be arrested. And Fritz would then tell me the story about how they were being harassed. Yeah. yeah. He was made he just made a good story out of everything. But it was an unusual family in that Doris' mother was an extremely religious woman. And she she's one of those people who would, when she would have a loss of like a son, would cling to the he's in a better place. Yeah, we've all heard life. that one, yeah. And... 
you know, it got to the point where no, he's not. The better place is right here, you know, in, in Dallas, Texas. But she she was a charming, beautiful woman, and I can't. I don't remember how many times I had dinner at their house with all the boys and Fritz and Doris, but it was always like a banquet. I mean, she was just a elegant lady. And the boys all treated their parents. I remember I started noticing when I was in their home how the boys were just so polite to their parents. You know, why why do I love yous? And, And that it just was a great environment. And I think one of the things that the boys started to believe was you are in a better place if you're out on the earth. Yeah. So to take their own lives, they were just going to a better place. Yeah. I've heard and, that one so many times, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it was just so tragic. I, I'd be there over at Channel 7 in the newsroom, and I'd look at the back when they had the wire machines, mm-hmm. you know. And I'd, just, I'd look at them periodically through the day, and I, I, every time I found out about another Ron Eric death, it was on the wire. I, you know, I, oh, no, it was huge. I, and... I was going to say, Steve Harms is here. It's 1131, 29 before 12. We're talking about a film that's coming about the Von Erichs, but he lived it. So Steve lived it. One of the guys that I got to know that I know you were very close to is, and professional wrestling is built around what's called feuding or feuds. And there's heels and there's faces. and um, But the greatest, or one of the greatest, and I, I got to know, because of knowing Heenan, I got to know Michael P.S. Hayes, you know, like in having mm-hmm. to, he was telling stories one night and there was there was there was Buddy Roberts, Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Michael P.S. Hayes. Right. They, they were the Freebirds. <laughs> and you you and Michael were and still are friends. I understand. I think the other two are gone. I think Bam Bam's gone and I think Buddy's gone. But. Talk about Michael Hayes and the Freebirds when the Freebirds hit Texas. Well, when the Freebirds came to Texas, their feud with Von Erichs was set up months before mm. they got there. And they had a uh, they had a match where it was a cage match. And somehow Michael Hayes was at that time pretend you know they were all friends with Von Eric and Freebirds. Well, Michael Hayes slammed Carrie's head. I've seen the video, yeah. In the gate of, of the cage, and so ended the friendship and began the feud. And it was, I, I went one night after the matches, I went with, uh, Terry and Michael to this really great hamburger place. It was near the sportatorium. 
And those guys, they lived the free. They lived as the freebirds, you know, and they loved any kind of recognition, and they they were just just fun to be around. Although you didn't want to be around them too long, yeah. because the fun would turn into something. Else. No, of course. But 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 Michael. Was was a I mean he loved southern rock and roll music. They, they they picked it up from um, from Leonard Skinner is the story I heard. Yeah, yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, and they they Michael loved the music. They had Buddy with them, just so there was one person that could be. Kind of straight, you know, because mm-hmm. Bam Bam oh. was a brutally tough guy. Oh, they, Michael and those guys all said, I mean, there were, Steve Harms is here. I mean, I think every one of those guys was tough. I mean, like way tougher than, but there were exceptionally tough people. And they got a jacket name, they called them Shooters. Um, and ter- they always said Terry Gordy was. And some of the Samoans, you get on a list of people that I've heard stories about, and I saw some, a couple guys in action. You just didn't want to screw with those guys. And inevitably, somebody would try. Well, you didn't want to see you, right? You don't want to screw around with those guys. And I'll tell you, a guy named Haku. Yeah, oh, or the Samoan, yeah. Was absolutely the legend for shoot fighting. And I saw him one time in a bar. It was after the show. It was in Boise, Idaho. And I'm sitting there at a table with him and a a big table, like about seven or eight guys. And somebody came over and did the old wrestling fake, you know. And the minute they said that, I thought, shit, I wish I was in my room. And all of a sudden, Haku Men gets up and grabbed the guy by the lapels or by the shirt right in the neck and lifted him up with one hand and threw him over the bar into the back of the bar. And it would be like... You and me doing it to an infant, you know, to, <laughs> to a baby. Yeah. And he he could wipe out an entire bar. Yeah. Fortunately, his demeanor was very quiet and very gentle and very nice. And, I mean, I always loved Stephen. And, but he, he was generally recognized as, the toughest yes. guy in the business. Yeah. I've heard that from many guys. The the one that I always laugh, Steve Harms is here. We've got a pause coming, but it was uh, Ken Patera and Mr. Saido and who put the rock through the window at McDonald's. And then they fought the cops and they fought everybody. And I like Patera a lot. Yeah. Oh, he was. Saido went back to Japan because he didn't want to go to jail. But um, Patera worked for Vince. And he was I, he was a hoot. He was a really good guy. And he said when 
they had to face a judge or something, and the, the print of the rock was pretty heavy. And somebody hucked it through the window. And they were trying to blame it on some kid that used to work at McDonald's, some skinny kid. And, it, and allegedly, and I don't know how true the story is, the judge said, there wasn't another person in 200 miles that could have lifted that rock but you. <laughs> and, 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 but he said, you know, he said, Sayudo didn't understand a lot of English. And he said the cops were at the door and they took a poke at him. And that was game on. He said Sayudo was really tough. And he said they beat up about 10 police before they, you know, all this stuff happened. Used to, I mean, everybody thinks these guys are like, you know, nothing burgers. And I'd, I'd never met one of them. One that's just, it's just as tough as hell. And, and like to do it. And they always said it about Terry Gordy. I, I, I never met Bam Bam, but I, when Michael said that this guy was a tough guy. Oh, yeah, he was. I mean, you're, you're right about all those guys. I mean, just depending on your, your definition of toughness, <laughs> it was, you know, the guys that took all the big bumps. Yeah. And, Though, you know, that was so tough. I got to tell you, I was refereeing one night in Denver, and I didn't use a referee in Denver, but I was involved in a match, and, and I don't remember exactly who was there except one guy named John Nord. The barbarian, John Nord. I worked with him. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he was a clone of uh, the barbarian. The um, come uh, on, the guy got murdered in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, and he he was a clone of him. And whatever the finish of the match was, I don't remember. But I do know that I had something to do with screwing the good guys, mm-hmm. and. There was a big schmoz. The schmoz is when everybody's in the ring and it's just a crazy riot. And John Nord came up to me and he said, take a slam. Yeah. I've never taken I mean, I wrestled <laughs> a lot. And I went out on the floor a lot between the ropes. But I never took any kind of wrestling move. Well, it, it wasn't up for discussion. <laughs> and he turned me and, and, and slammed me. Now, I thought every bone in my body was broken. And I, well, you know, knocked the wind out of me. I couldn't breathe. So anyway, I, he got in a lot of trouble for doing that. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. But Gene Reed the promoter, his son was a photographer. Ed Reed. Eddie Reed. Yeah. 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 Ringside stuff. And he had taken a picture of it, of the slam. And he said, hey, I've got a picture that you want to see it. And I said, sure. And when I looked at the picture, Nord still was holding me about a foot off the match. It wasn't like a slam a wrestler would take where they're, you know, taking it from five or six feet. And I looked at that and I thought, I thought I was dead when they did that. And I was only, I only dropped maybe 12 inches. 
And that's when I truly understood yeah. that these guys went yeah. through every night. Yeah. No, it's true. Do their do their business and take the bumps. And, so many of them. Some, and, you know, and the other thing was was drugs and and craziness well, and I mean it was a draw and it was like you. I think Steve Harms is here. Peter Boyle, Seven Ten Canyon was talking about this pending film. Uh, called the Iron Claw about the Von Erich family and Steve knew and worked with them, and no, those guys were, they were legitimately. I thought you know, and I remember one night, and then we'll get a pause and sell something, come back, but every once in a while somebody would get in the ring, some some civilian would get in, and that was like mm-hmm. showtime, and I saw that happen once for real, and then a couple of times people tried to. And a guy rolled under the under the rope, and and everybody turned on him. <laughs> it was like yeah. heels and faces. This guy, they waited, and they just beat this guy. And they said he won't do that again. And I, you know, I had Mad Dog get me in the air one time, and it was like, you know, and, and he, I, I loved him. He was like out of his mind, you know, just great. And he got me up and right. t- turned me and f- turned me down. But he said in my ear, he you know he charged the ring, and I, this voice said, "I ain't gonna hurt you." <laughs> I was, was over. <laughs> I was upside down, but I I just loved it. I don't I don't know why you know. And you were attracted to it, and I loved it. And there's something about us. Let me come back, and then we'll focus on the film that's coming. Steve Harms, our guest here on Seven Ten K in US. The film is coming. Um, and it is apparently getting a lot of attention. 48 will be the high, 53 on Sunday. Ski season is in full swing. We'll go skiing, uh, be on the, on, the, on the mountain at Winter Park on Monday morning. There's nobody left, and we just get to ski. The snow is good. It's great. It's real hero snow right now. And you know what it means? It's time to visit Larson Ski and Sport. Get all of your new gear for the season. You're ready to get out and have some fun. Take it from me. If you need any ski or snowboard gear, go to Larson Ski and Sport. Looking for day or season rentals. Larson has the great rentals available. And again, coming to the, the ski snow snow right now is as best as it's going to be. And March is a big, big snow month. Things are great. And you want to demo some new skis or boards. The guys at Larson's will take the time to get to know you and the family. Match you with all the right brands. You enjoy your time on the hill. Larson's is so convenient. You can stop on the way up, stop on the way home. The, the big wooden building south of I-70 on Kipling. So you're going up the mountain, westbound on I-70, get off on the Kipling exit, come down the ramp, make a left, go underneath I-70, come out the other side, and you'll see the Crab Shack. And then right next to the Crab Shack is a big wooden building. That seven days a week is Larson Ski and Sport. South of I-70 on Kipling. The web is Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, sport.com. Legitimately, I mean, right now, this is a great, great time. Uh, 303-423-0654, 303-423-0654. Great clothing, stuff to keep you warm. It is the man to see. Larson Ski and Sport, larsonsport.com. 11.49, it is, uh, there we go, about 10 minutes before the hour of high noon, and then we're back here next Saturday at 9. Saturday morning, 48 and sunny. I'm Peter Boyles. It's going to be really nice tomorrow and a good a good Monday as well. Steve Harms is with us. Cowboy Moving and Storage is the recommended mover. Go to cowboymoving.com. Click on Customer Reviews. It's incredible. 
1,300 reviews, very positive. Google ratings of 4.9. It's really unheard of. Family-owned and operated by the same folks since 1968. I always say, walk in the office, and the guy's got a 1947 Indian tank shifter right in his office. Cowboy provides residential commercial moves throughout all of Colorado can store your valuables. If you're The one thing I really like, and it's really cool, we talk about it, it's called load and hold. So basically, if you're moving into a new office or new residence, but you got to leave your current location before the new place is available, then this is the storage service for you. Load and hold trailers can work well for long-term or short-term. They hold it, clean, dry place, and when time for delivery, they bring it. If you want to get them to, you know, give you an estimate on something, Grandma, you're going to move the grand piano. Whatever it is. I mean, these are these are the best guys. Cowboy, the recommended mover. These are the guys who do the job, the guys who have been in here working for Cowboy for years. Truly, it's what they do from moves to loads to holds to storage. Cowboy's been Colorado's recommended mover since 1968. They donate a portion of every move to Freedom Service Dogs. Cowboymoving.com, 303-789-2200, 303-789-2200, today. Final segment with Steve Harms. We're talking about the film that's coming and about the Von Erichs. And Steve Steve knew them well and worked in the wrestling business, although he was a great sportscaster. How did you separate that, by the way? I was going to ask you that before one time privately, and we're coming up on time. But how did you sell, separate working for Fritz and then doing sports on TV? Well, I never worked in the Dallas area. In other words, when I would referee, it would be spot shows that were on, you know, that that were far enough away that I couldn't be seen. Nobody would see me. That, That was really it. And that was the deal I had with the TV station was I could do that, but they didn't want me on TV doing that. Yeah. So. When. I was, what was the best match you think you've ever seen? And what was the, by the way, it was Bruiser Brody. Thank you for thousands of listeners saying that. Um, who, who was, the, what was the best match you ever refed? And what was the best match you ever saw? It's final question. The best match I ever saw was uh, Steamboat and Flair at WrestleMania three yeah. In, yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. And the best match I ever refereed was the first one I ever refereed. And that was Harley Race and Dory Funk. Ooh, ooh. And they did that on purpose because those two didn't need a referee. No. No, so I, would, I just walked around. And, yeah. I mean, I did more than walk around. But that, to watch two masters of the business from three feet away, mm-hmm. it's just incredible to me. And, and they were both such great guys that, that I loved it. I loved Harley Race. Really did. I mean, legitimately also, apparently legitimately, according to Ric Flair, was a tough guy. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> I don't know who. So, who is the best? Who's the all-timer that you were you were around that you can always say this was the man? Well, I refereed three or four times with Ric Flair, and he, he does the same match every time. Oh yeah, he's really, really good, and but. 
when I worked with the Von Erichs, I knew that all three of them could someday be a world champion. Mm-hmm. And David was being groomed to be that. Yeah. He died. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I worked with George Animal Steel. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a high school coach, and, right? Yeah, in Detroit. Yeah. Jim, Jim Michael, and I, I got to know him real well. And you work with somebody like that, and you're totally amazed at how they can switch characters. Even as you say, a high, high school uh, wrestling and football coach. Yeah. And then becoming this. The animal. I, I, I just looked at the clock. I got about 15 seconds. Thank you. Uh, you made a great hour. We got a podcast on this. The one and only Steve Harms. And um, I'll give you a call this afternoon. Thank you again. But thanks, Stevie, for a great hour. All right. Love you, Pete. Love you, brother. Thank you. Everybody back next Saturday at 9. We do the shoot, 9 o'clock this Wednesday. It's another one of those organized crime books that we do. So you take care of yourselves. 48 will be the high, 53 tomorrow and 44 on Monday. Brad, thank you very much. I'll see you guys, Blake. Thank you, and all's well in the world.